Good morning, everyone. As we turn to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons of the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Revelation chapter 12, verses 4b through 5. Again, the text is Revelation chapter 12, verses 4b through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Revelation. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we, this, this uh, cold, uh, gray, Advent morning, Sabbath day, we, we bring before you our hearts, Father, we bring before you our minds, we bring before you our wills, all that we are. Father, our hopes and our fears, Father, we, we place them before you, asking that you would renew them, that you would indeed raise us from the dead, Father, that you would fill us uh, who are empty, that you would cleanse us who are defiled, that you would lead us who are wayward, that you would free us who are enslaved. Oh, Father, please be present. Father, we are alone. Father, we are forsaken. And we need you. We need your beauty. We need your goodness. We need your truth. So, Father, please have your way with us. May the, med- when the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, kids, I, I don't know about you, but when I was, going to, when I was in school, I would, uh, go to, I would, I would uh, be on the bus every day to and from uh, school. And on the way home, this was in junior high and high school, I would get off the bus and I, this, this knot in my stomach would start to form. This is silly, but this is, this, is, this is the truth. I would be walking home, and I would get more and more nervous as I got home. And the reason why is because it was, I think, around 8th or ninth grade, I decided that I would start working out when I got home from school. I, wanted, I, was, I played basketball, I played various sports, and I wanted to get stronger. And I would go home, and I would, um, I would work out. I would just do some like sit-ups and push-ups and pull-ups, in our downstairs basement area. And I just, there was something about working out. I just didn't like it, right? It's, it's just hard to do. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But I knew that I, I, if I wanted to get stronger, I would have to do it. And so I always, I didn't look forward to it at all. In fact, I, I most of the time, even now, growing up, I'm, you know, through my, my adult years, I still don't really look forward to it. I, I go to the gym because I, I know it's the right thing to do. And always afterward, I always feel better but here's the thing, now, uh, as an adult, when I go to the gym, I can't go by myself. In fact, there have been a few times, especially lately, because of all that's going on, I've gone to the gym, there's been like almost like no one else there. And there's a reason, listen to this, there's a reason that I can't work out by myself. It's because the weights that I use, at least for me, are very, very 
they're just they're very weighty they're weights right but they're, they're there's a lot of weight and i can't do it by myself okay so you in, in what you when you're working out and you have a lot of weight that you're working with you 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 need what's called a spotter you know what a spotter is kids a spotter is someone who's going to help you lift the weight if you can't do it on your own so if you have, let's say you're, you're, you're benching or you're, you're pushing up some weight, you've got a bar and there's, there's weights on, on each side and you're pushing it up and maybe you, you're trying to do five, but you can only do like three or four. Someone stands nearby and, they, and if you can't do it, they help you. And if they're a good spotter, they help you just a little tiny bit. Okay, that's what a spotter is. So like for example, if I'm working out, and uh, I'll, I'll walk up to some, some guy or some person. And I'll just, hey, can I get a spot from you real quick? And the idea of a spotter is just someone who's going to, they're just going to show up real quick, help you out a little bit, and they're gone. You may get several different people to help you spot during your workout. So that's what a spotter is. But here's the thing about a spotter. They show up and they're gone. They're not really telling you what to do. They're just helping you when you need some help. Now, that's a very different thing from a, from a trainer. See, as a, here's the thing. I, I work out, and I, I work out like mostly in my upper body, and it's the same muscles every time. In fact, it's the same routine every time. It's how you're actually not supposed to work out. You're supposed to vary your workout. You're supposed to get a whole body workout. You're supposed to work out your core. I work out mostly just like my beach muscles. I go in, you know what I mean? And it's really not even, I don't even know why I do it. I mean, it's like... I mean, throughout the entire week, I never do this, right? especially with, you know, 200 pounds. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to do that. I don't know why I do what I do. I do it actually for mostly psychological reasons. I just low and I get stress relief, and it's a place to meet people. But if you really want to work out, if you really want to actually improve your health, you need a trainer. You need someone to actually show you what to do. In fact, lately... Sarah and I, we'll, we'll, my day off is Fridays, and we actually get up in the morning, and we go to the Y together, and I train Sarah. In fact, it's a lot of fun, because I don't have to do anything. I get to tell her what to do, and I make up this routine, and it's a full-body workout. I mean, every, pretty much every, every, every muscle in her body, because I, I know what to do, I just don't do it for myself, okay? This is how, here's the, see the hypocrisy but Sarah is, Sarah is, listen, this is so neat. She actually says, I want someone who will just tell me what to do. Right? That's why I mean, it's this crazy thing. You can actually pay people to train you. It's like you're paying someone to tell you what to do. You're paying someone to put you through a, an amount of pain. <laughs> right? But why is that? Why are you doing that? Well, for one reason, it's nice, listen to this, it's nice not have to make, to make all the decisions isn't it? In fact, there's actually a name for that when you get tired of making decisions. It's called decision fatigue. You've ever heard this term, this phrase before? You ever feel that? The sense of all these decisions in life that you have to make. It'd be nice just to pay someone to make the decisions for you. To pay someone with the expertise to tell you what to do in a way that's going to lead you to a place of health. And there's something very, 
very important, very life-changing. So one of, the things, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons I do work out is because it's a metaphor for life. And as Christians, sometimes we can approach Christianity saying, you know, I want Jesus to be a spotter. Someone who's going to help me just every now and then when I need, you know, when I need support, when I need a little bit extra push. But that's not what our text this morning says that Jesus is. He's not just a spotter. In fact, he's someone who is a ruler, someone who rule over the nations. We're going to get to that in just a second. But I want to ask you this question this morning in your life. Do you just do you want a spotter or do you want a trainer? In fact, when we look at the world around us, do we, does the world need a spotter? <laughs> or does it need a trainer? Someone who's going to come in and do a complete overhaul. In 2020, whom do we want to take over? What a year it's been. We think of the pandemic. We think of how polarized we are as a nation. I just the other day I had someone. Uh, they messaged me on Facebook, and they, um, you know, I'm, I'm especially as a, as a professor, as a pastor, but just as a Christian, I'm just so, I'm so careful on social media. So careful what I say, with, with much, much respect. I say it with humility. I say it as asking questions, you know, opening dialogue. And someone messaged me. They, they, they said, I, I can't stand what you said on this post. You know, I'm, I'm unfriending you. And, you know, that's, that's fine. I, I respect that, etc. But I don't take back what I said. I re- reread it. And I thought, no, this, is, this needed to be said. It was, it was humble. It was respectful. It was, in, it was interactive. And they just didn't, they just didn't agree with me. And they, they, they couldn't uh, take it. And, but it's just amazing that someone would, would just, you know, we're, just, we're so polarized. And I'm not going to, if you don't agree with me, I'm not going to be your friend. We're so polarized. And the question is, what, in, 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 in 2020, whom do we want to take over? And it's so tempting. You know, whom do we want to be in charge? You know, so many, I think there are two dominant feelings that many of us have in 2020, when we look at the, at the political situation, when we look at the, the pandemic, the first thing that we often feel is powerless. Feel powerless in 2020? So often I think social media is that outlet that we have. I feel powerless, so I'm going to post an article. <laughs> right? There's this sense, we just don't know what else to do. There's a sense of powerlessness. You know, it's sort of like we're lifting weights and we can't even get the first bar. We can't get the, the first rep uh, up, up, up. You know, we can't even do anything. There's a sense of feeling powerless. But also, 2020, and I think a lot of students, I think a lot of adults feel this. Not only do we feel powerless, we feel pointless. Right? My daughters were sharing with me just the idea of being home day in and day out, online, and so often... You're not, it's just so difficult to learn online. A lot of their classmates are struggling in class, in C's and D's, even failing. It's just, you just feel, what's the point? And when we feel pointless and we feel powerless, listen to this, we can be tempted for a solution 
to look to political power. I mean, 2020 is the year of politics. Everything is about politics. Every masks have been politicized. I mean, whoever would have thought that a mask could be politicized? But everything that was had the pandemic itself massively politicized. Everything was about politics, and it's in a way that again is, is so amazing in how it is its ability to divide us. And here's the thing: the Advent, Revelation 12, Advent tells us to look elsewhere when we're feeling pointless. When we're feeling powerless, in fact, the Advent story, the story of Joseph and Mary, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, tells us that when we feel powerless, that when we feel pointless, we are to look pretty much anywhere but politics. So in Revelation 12, it speaks, as Lydia just read, it speaks of a ruler Listen to this. It speaks of a ruler who must first be rescued. So we've been talking these last three weeks in Advent, we've been talking about Revelation 12 and the picture, how it gives us a picture of the night sky, a picture that the Magi themselves would have seen. It speaks of a sign in the heavens, a constellation in the heavens, of, of, of a picture of, 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 a, of a woman and the stars. And of course, if you know anything about the night sky, that's a picture of Virgo, the woman uh, who would have appeared to the Magi in the pre-dawn morning. One of the, one of the oldest or most ancient known constellations, this, this woman, a, a, a virgin uh, of, of um, again, in various cultures, all, all, all of them seeing her as a woman, as a virgin, as someone in the skies, who is there, who's a sign of fertility and of virtue. And next to that woman, as we see in, in verses 3 and 4, is an ominous figure, uh, also a, a very well-known figure in the night sky, that what's called hydra, usually portrayed as a serpent or a dragon, a reptile of some, sh- of some, of, uh, of some myth or another. And these two are, in a, in, in a sense, in a battle. And these magi would have seen in the night sky, they would have seen right on the pre-dawn morning, they would have seen a woman, and right next to the woman standing, this, 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 this picture of, a, of, a, of, a, of Hydra, this multi-headed serpent or dragon figure seeking to devour the woman. And of course, it's seen as a story of nativity, of Mary of a regal figure, ready to give birth. How is that possible? By the arrival of this mysterious comet um, ascending up into her womb, growing larger in size, and then descending, coming out of her, and, and this time with a tail standing in the skies, appearing like a mighty scepter. And this woman with, with, with a tiara or a crown on her head of 12, of 12 stars, representing the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, moves these magi to make the 500-plus-mile the uh, journey to, uh, to Jerusalem, to arrive and ask this most politically subversive question to Herod the Great, where is the one born king of the Jews? And then the reason that, that, this, that this story speaks so negatively of political power is that the one-born king of the Jews 
had no political power whatsoever. In fact, the story as you know it is a story that, 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 that begins, in fact, throughout Jesus' entire life, begins in a way in which political power is utterly hostile to Jesus. Throughout his entire life, from, from Herod the Great to Herod the Tetrarch, from Herod the Great is the one who tries to kill Jesus at his birth, to Herod Antipas, or the Herod the Tetrarch, who um, is a, um, a puppet king, um, and who, in coordination with Pilate, uh, allows Jesus to be put to death. So again, in the, in the whole uh, Advent story, but throughout Jesus' life, political power represents no friend to the kingdom of God. We saw last week that the dragon, of course, is symbolic of the notion, this idea of disorder, of chaos, of the forces of chaos that threaten to, to, uh, to undo any sort of order, any sort of sense of, of hospitality, any sense of life. And more particularly in the scriptures, the, the dragon, the serpent, is symbolic not only of the evil one who is behind it all, but this is important. In Scripture, so often, the dragon is representative of political power. In fact, from the story of Exodus, where the Pharaoh would have had on his, on his, um, on his uh, crown a serpent coming out. In fact, those of you, your kids, you can, you can, you can Google uh, King Tut, or you can Google the various pharaohs, and almost all, all of them, they have this serpent coming out. Because the serpent is a sign of power without any predictability. That's what a serpent is. A serpent, when a serpent slithers, you have no idea where it's going. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a serpent is a way of presenting power without any predictability, with no sense of promise, with no sense of permission, doing whatever it wants to do. So dra- the, the, the serpent, the dragon represents not just disorder and chaos in general, but despotism, a sense of a dictator. You have no idea what they are going to do. So Herod the Great epitomized that. He did whatever he wanted to do, wherever he wanted to do it, whenever he wanted to do it. And so, that's, and so this idea, again, in Revelation 13, we'll go on to show how the dragon then summons a beast from the sea. And that beast, again, symbolizes political power that pretends to be supreme, that pretends to be final. And so this, 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 in, this, in verse 4, we, we ask the question, from whom must this child, this child's future king, be rescued? And the answer is from the dragon. And what's so amazing is, again, as we look through the story of Jesus' life again and again, he is rescued by political power. Every single time in Jesus' life, political power is thwarted. You know, so often we think that presidents and policies and Supreme Court decisions are final. We think they're so important. We think that they'll have their way. And what happens, when we think that, what happens is that it divides us because we think that everything is at stake. And in, in truth, in reality, the Advent story speaks of that, 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 that the heart of the king 
is in the hand of the Lord. And he stirs it wherever he wants it to go. Listen, political power is nothing but a pawn in the great strategy of the one, the only one who was a chess master. Herod the Great, a pawn. Herod the Tetrarch, a pawn. Pilate, a pawn. Donald Trump, Joe Biden, pawns. The story of Advent, listen, this is so important. The story of Advent frees us to look at all that's going on, the American political situation, and yawn. Okay? Let's all do a quick Advent yawn. Come on. Okay? Now listen, political power has its place. I have political ideals. I think we should. We should be informed as Christians. We should be good citizens. But don't buy into the lie that political power is where it's at. In the kingdom of God, political power has a currency that is worth monopoly money. Are you with me? Okay, you got that? Listen, it's important. I'm not saying we shouldn't have issues, but, but here, what we, this is, I've been so encouraged. I mean, there's a good shepherd here in 2020. We have not been divided on these things. Not that we all agree. We can, we can disagree. I'm sure that I hope that there is political disagreement here. I hope there are persons on the left and the right, other persons who think about these things. We shouldn't be political sheep. Jesus was not a Republican. He was not a Democrat. We should be thinking and we should be discussing these things vigorously, spirited, discuss, talk about them. That's wonderful. Let's work through them. We should be having close friends, Christian friends, who are of different political persuasions. That's good. But we must not divide over them. I know churches right now. I have fellow pastors who are their churches are or they're divided, and there's there's anger and there's social media battles. And there's, uh, there's people stepping off positions of leadership, leaving churches, etc., etc., over something that is, has the value, the currency of monopoly money. Listen, Christ and his church, this is what I love about Revelation 12 here. You look at the, you look at the, the battle. It's a woman, a young woman, defenseless, with a child, Right? It's Sarah and little Harrison against this beast. And you're thinking, there's no way. There is no way. It's game over. There's not a chance. You look at Mary, and you look at baby Jesus and Joseph, these peasants. No political power. No wealth. No money. No, no military might. And you're thinking, there's no way. And that is the hope of the Advent story. That is the example of Jesus and Mary and Joseph who trust God's plan, who believe that in the world's eyes it seems pointless. See, understand this is key. Hear this this morning. Christ and his church will always look weak in the eyes of the world. And yet, where is the Roman Empire today? <laughs> right? Where is Nero today? We don't even remember. We, don't even, we, we think about them only because we're interested in history. There's no impact. There's no influence. And yet, look at the person of Jesus Christ. 
Look at his influence today. In the last, the 20th century, the last 160, 170 years prove anything is that Christianity is here to stay. It is the most diverse religion in the world. Followers of Jesus Christ gather on Sunday morning from almost every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. It's a beautiful thing. So again, we, we look at Romans 12, Revelation 12. It speaks of a, a ruler who must first be rescued. It looks of a situation that seems impossible. There's just no way. And yet, God's hand, God's sovereign purposes stand again and again and again. Let's ask a final question here. Over whom will this child rule? Verse chapter 12, verse 5 says, She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. If you have your, if you're looking at the text, you'll see that that phrase, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, is in quotes. It's taken from Psalm chapter 2. If you know Psalm 2, it is this, this it is King David in this defiant way, just mocking the nations, making fun of them, saying, why do the nations rage? Why do the kings of the earth plot against the Lord and against his anointed? Why do they do this in vain? There's this sense of David saying, look, God has selected his king and all the nations of the earth, all the kings of the earth, they can do all that they want to do. They can rage all they want. They can plot all they want. They can plan all they want, but they will not win. There's a sense of futility, a sense of stupidity, a true pointlessness to raging against the person of Jesus Christ that God has installed him at his right hand, and he is David's son, and he will rule all the nations, and he will do so both with might and with mercy. Psalm 2 is the psalm that, that, that speaks, that addresses all the despots, all the dictators, all the tyrants throughout history, and says, you either bow your knee, or it will be bowed for you. I've told this story again, but I'll tell it again. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. It was, it was some number of years ago, I want to say in the early 2000s, when a man was uh, um, decided for whatever reason, I don't even know the story behind it, but he decided that he would show up at the, outside the White House with a gun. He was out there, and he, 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 he was hiding his gun, he pulled out of his coat, and he was wheeling it around, and immediately, of course, uh, Secret Service uh, members gathered around him, and, uh, and he wouldn't, they, they kept telling him to put the gun down, and he didn't, and so he started, he started wielding it around, and what did they do? <laughs> they just, they shot him in the knee, and he went straight down, and that was it. <laughs> and you think, that, that is a picture of defiance of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of the futility. It's like, what is this guy thinking he's going to accomplish? She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Listen, all political power will one day be subjected to him. Donald Trump will one day bow his knee to Jesus Christ. Joe Biden will one day bow his knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing. Who do you want in charge of your life? Do you want a spotter? Or do you want a trainer? Because listen, this trainer's taken over the gym. 
Now, I've spoken of this dragon. This dragon represents disorder, represents uh, dictatorship, despotism, an unpredictable, tyrannical, capricious form of rule, especially of political power. But it's not only disorder and, and tyranny and dictatorship. Ultimately, the dragon represents death itself. And this ruler is one who has come not only to reign over the, over, over, you know, the various forms of, of political power, but also to reign over death itself. This child is one who has come to defeat death. I want, I'm going to close with that. I want you to hear that those of you, for some of us, for many of us, Christmas, as we get older, it's just a time that gets worse and worse and worse. Because we miss loved ones. We miss our spouses. We miss our parents. We miss siblings. In fact, just yesterday, I was uh, quickly checking out my Facebook feed, and I came across a fellow PCA pastor. And I don't know him myself. He, we were just Facebook friends. We've interacted a few times. And, uh, but he, he shares this heartbreaking uh, post. His wife has been, uh, had been wrestling with cancer uh, for the past several years, and about eight or nine months ago was, was uh, put on hospice. I want to read this to you because I think it's so true to the story of Advent and true to the story of the victory of Christ over death. Let me read this to you. He says, Dearest friends, I'm writing to let you, let you all know that my wife Liz passed away late last night at 4.15. As most of you know, the progression of her cancer has been remarkably slow and gradual ever since she entered hospice more than nine months ago. So we were a bit unprepared for things to progress so quickly when the time for her passing came, even though that is precisely what we had been praying for. She actually visited with a good friend from church just yesterday afternoon. But then, yesterday evening, she began to decline quickly. Her breathing became increasingly more labored and slow, and I was no longer able to wake her or to get any verbal response. By 10 p.m., her breathing seemed to relax again, and she just looked like she was sleeping comfortably, like she had been for several months now. Thankfully, I sensed that I needed to stay awake with her, and I was able to lay by her side to keep her company and to speak to her through the night. At 4.15 a.m., she just stopped breathing and quietly slipped away into the presence of the Lord. Because many of you have been praying specifically about this, I want you to know that as far as I could tell, there, wasn't, there, weren't, any, there weren't ever any signs of significant pain or discomfort for which we are very grateful. I called Isabel to come over and woke Noah and Emily so all three of the kids were able to be with me right after she died. <laughs> and we had a sweet time of grieving together and doing our best to comfort one another while we waited for the hospice nurse and funeral director to come to the house. Even though I thought we were all ready for her to pass, her death has still hit us all pretty hard. We were up all night and are still feeling pretty emotionally and physically exhausted. So please know that even though we may not have the energy right now to take or, to take or calls or to be able to respond to your texts, emails, or comments, we most definitely do appreciate them all very much. The last passage of scripture I was able to read to Liz last night is the one that appropriately speaks of our final hope of resurrection and the renewal of all things at the time of the Lord's return. 
Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the beauty of your word. Thank you so much for the story of your son written in the night skies century ago. It's amazing these magi would see. They would see the hope of a coming Savior, of a ruler, one born king of the Jews, whose power would be like a power the world has never seen before, not a power of the sword, or the power of policies, or the power of money, or the power of mere words and social media manipulation. The power of love, the power of love, the power of life given freely, of life lost so that others may know, may know you and may know life eternal. The power of one who is willing to sacrifice, who is willing to be treated unfairly, who is willing to be defamed and mocked and rejected and hated and forsaken. And Father, after he had done everything right, after he had obeyed you perfectly, you in your love for us, would treat him as if he had done everything wrong. Also, that we might hear wonderful, the wonderful, wonderful words, wonderful words from you saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Father, we, we give you such thanks for the triumph of your son that he rules over the forces of darkness, over the devil, the demonic realm, over our disobedience, and supremely and finally over death itself. Father, I pray for this pastor brother of mine. I pray that you would comfort him and his family. And I pray for so many here, Father, this morning, who themselves are missing loved ones. They ache inside, Father. They ache. And it just seems like there's nothing that can take away that ache. But I pray that you would give them a peace, an Advent peace, and knowledge that your son reigns over death, that he is the resurrection and the life. Father, would you humble us? Would you enable us to please to not look to you for a spot, but look to you to train our entire lives? Father, there are aspects of our lives that we don't want to give over to you. We think we got it. We think we got it figured out. We think we know how to build the model. Yet we don't have a clue what we're doing. Father, please show us your wisdom. Show us how to walk together in the light of your wonder, in the light of your welcome, in the light of your wisdom. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.